Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Will you get enough income to live on from the state pension, your company scheme, or a personal pension? How much longer will you have to work if your pension fund has shrunk? And what can you do to rebuild your pension if you've been hit by stock market falls? All of this to come in a special edition of the FT Money Show on the pensions time bomb and how it affects UK investors. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on this very important money matter in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Charlene Goff. Hello. Steve Lodge. Hello. And our special studio guest, Raj Modi, pensions partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Hello. So let's start then with what exactly the pension time bomb is. Late last year, the CBI warned that the ballooning cost of public sector pensions will mean that doctors, nurses, teachers and civil servants will have to work longer and make bigger contributions to their pensions to defuse this imminent pensions time bomb. But public sector pensions, funded by the UK government, are arguably the most bomb-proof. It's company and personal pensions that are already blowing up. Two-thirds of UK companies are expected to have to close or reduce contributions to their final salary or defined benefit schemes this year. And more could go bust, leaving their employees to fall back on the Pension Protection Fund. Meanwhile, many personal pensions have been failing to produce the investment growth to meet income needs. Um, Raj, if I can start with you, let's let's take these types of pensions one by one, starting with the state pension. What exactly is the nature of the problem with the, with the state pension? Well, I think part of the problem, Matthew, is that when it comes to paying the state pension, there isn't a pot of money that the government holds on to in order to pay those pensions out. It's paid out of today's tax income. So the tax that's levied on people who are working goes towards paying pensioners who are retired. That then gives you a problem, and the problem at the moment is that more and more people are retiring and there are fewer people working. We're getting a gradually older population. It's a demographic problem uh, to do with birth rates and death rates and so on from decades ago. So, put bluntly, uh, there's less money to go around, and that can only mean one thing. Either taxes have to rise to cover the cost of the pensions, or the pensions have to be cut. So given that there is this problem with the state pension, that puts more onus on people to save for themselves, uh, and a company pension, an occupational pension scheme, was traditionally the best way to do that. Um, But what are the problems with these? Well, with company pension schemes, your employer 
is responsible for funding the cost of the pension. And the problem that they've had now is that, for example, people are living a lot longer, so the same pension that they were promised is going to cost more because people are around for, for more to draw that pension. And also investment returns haven't done very well. The market suffered from very severe falls recently. So the assets that companies do hold and, and company pension funds are run on what we call a funded basis. There is a pot of money there to pay the pensions. There are some pretty severe shortfalls in those assets. Now, again, to fund those deficits, that has to come out of uh, company profitability. Raj, I think you're talking about final salary schemes there, aren't you? I think sometimes called de- defined benefits. But I mean, I've never been lucky enough to have one of those. And isn't that the case with more and more employees? Yes, indeed. There's another type of pension scheme altogether, which is a defined contribution or so-called money purchase pension scheme, where you have as an individual your own pot of money. Your company might contribute to it, but it's still your own pot of money. There, the pension that you could draw from it depends on what that pot of money is worth when you get to retirement and how much annuities cost. But you're still faced with a similar problem. More likely than not, the assets in your pot have reduced in value because they've been invested in equities and annuities are costing more and more because, for example, people are living longer. And this presumably is the same set of problems affecting those who are using personal pensions or self-invested personal pensions, uh, SIPs, because they are just having to invest money in a fund and then buy an annuity with it. It's exactly the same problem. It's just that you don't have the company umbrella around that pension scheme. That, that's just then your own personal contract with an insurance company, typically. And for people who are seeing well, the value of the state pension under attack and uncertainty over their, uh, their company pension scheme, I suppose age is a crucial factor because if, they're, if they've got lots of year, many years to go, there's something they can do about it in terms of investing in a personal pension. If they've got less time, it's much harder. If you're younger, then you're in a better position because whatever is happening uh, around you, and, and usually these are factors beyond your control, at least you've got the time to save more if you need to do that and to adjust your lifestyle and expectations around retirement. If you're older, clearly there's a limit to what you can do and sometimes you may have to make last-minute plans to your retirement and work an extra few years simply because your pension's not enough to live off. And Raj, how would that age factor um, come into play on final salary schemes? Because I would have thought the younger you are in one of those schemes, maybe the less likely it would be that you would actually still have that benefit there when you came to retire. I think with final salary schemes, generally, if you're a member, and there are fewer and fewer of those around, but if you're a member still of a final salary scheme, you have less to worry about. Uh, You have that benefit there. Your company is responsible for providing it. There will, in a few cases, be companies that go insolvent before you make it to retirement. And as Matthew was saying earlier, in that case, the Pensions Protection Fund will kick in. It won't give you your benefit in full, necessarily, but it will give you uh, a portion of that benefit uh, for when you come to retire. But some of those schemes are actually closing to, to existing as well as new members, I think. Uh, they are. It means that you simply won't build up any new future build-up of benefits, but you'll still have the benefits that you've built up in the past. They're essentially untouchable. They're protected, and you will get those when you retire. I think it's worth just touching on a couple of other problems as well with the structure of pensions is the monstrous complexity of the system, which I think Raj has done a, a creditable job of explaining what this incredibly 
difficult to understand, uh, difficult to, to know how to, to how you fund schemes and what the actual pressures on them are. And I think a further point as well is that governments of every hue have changed the rules repeatedly. So we haven't even had stability of this system, have we? Hence, we do have these at least three different pots and they're all merging into each other at the edges. It does make it difficult for uh, companies as well as uh, individuals as employees to plan for their retirement when the rules are changing, uh, it seems, quite quite frequently indeed, yes. I think the key message I'd suggest is if you're on a defined benefit scheme, as we said, most of those are final salary type schemes, although you can get other types called career average salary, then in a way you've got little to worry about. Your choices have already been made for you by your company. But if you're on a defined contribution scheme, you do need to monitor your savings and investment choices. And we'll come on to uh, the difference for people in different sets of circumstances, the winners and losers, a little bit later on in The Money Show. Um, But first, um, we're going to look at the causes of uh, the pension time bomb in a little bit more detail, but also the implications for those who are still in work. So earlier I caught up with Tom McPhail, who's head of pensions research at independent financial advisors Hargreaves Lansdowne, and I began by asking him how this problem has come about. This is this is primarily a demographic issue. This is to do with the nature of the population and it's to do with life expectancy. So to trace it back to its root, you've got to go back to the Second World War, the explosion in the population that occurred as the everyone celebrated the victory in the Second World War in the way that consenting adults do. There was a huge explosion in the birth rate. Twenty years later, that initial wave of the population all had their own children. So you had two big bulges in the population in the 1940s and the 1960s. Now, that has been coupled with rapidly improving life expectancy, better standard of living, better diets, better quality of life. The problem then is that when the second wave of the baby boom, those people born in the 1960s, get to retirement, they're going to find all their parents' generation are still there. And and so we're going to see this huge expansion in the retired population and the ratio of the population between the workers and the, and the pensioners is going to shift very much towards the pensioners. Pensioners are a drain on the population's resources and that's what's going to cause the problem. So the issue is very much the number of people and the, the number of years they have to contribute to contributory uh, pensions and the much longer number of years that they now need to take benefits if, if you look at someone who hit age 65 back in around 1980, they could expect to live for perhaps 15 years uh, at, at most, 10 to 15 years. Someone hitting 65 today can expect to live for over 20 years. Um, now, just think about how much money you, you get through in 5 to 10 years of your life. That's how much extra money you need to save. Um, And you need to put it away while you're working because when you reach retirement and you stop working, that's it. You're not accumulating money at that point. You're you're starting to spend it. So you've got to save enough extra money to cover an extra five to ten years of holiday. That also is is where the problem lies. Now, in the UK, there are three principal sources of this retirement income. The the state pension, any any pension that your employer may provide, and also any personal pension or other investments that you may make to provide for your retirement. How have each of these sort of three uh, retirement savings vehicles uh, held up in the face of this impending time bomb? Okay, so 
we lost the uh, the link of the state pensions to earnings back in the early 1980s. So the value of the state pension has been er eroding ever since then. It's been slicing away every year. Uh, it's been diminishing in value. Uh, in terms of final salary pensions, those fantastic pension schemes that employers used to provide to their staff, the zenith there was back in the 1960s when there were around 12 million people enjoying final salary provision. And since then, we've been coming down the other side of the hill, and we're now at a point where there are around 7 or 8 million people still in final salary schemes, but particularly in the private sector. They're closing, and they're closing very fast. So in terms of those two pillars, the state pension and occupational provision, we're already well on the way down the downslope, and that simply leaves you as an individual having to make up the difference. And in the UK, uh, have enough people been making up enough of the difference using personal pensions, self-invested personal pensions, or indeed any other investments? Absolutely not. In fact, millions of people aren't making any provision for retirement, um, and this is a huge problem. It, it's a problem we all share. Um, and indeed, many people who are members of pensions aren't putting enough in. And one aspect of the, the decline in occupational provision is that as the final salary schemes have closed, employers have very often replaced them with money purchase pensions, which is fine, except they haven't been putting as much into them. So the, 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 the funding rate has been going down. Um, if you put less in, you'll get less out. Uh, and so we now have this problem where collectively we are not saving nearly enough for retirement. So let's look at the practical steps that people can take to try to save enough for retirement. Um, those who are approaching retirement have been hit very hard by falling asset values in the last couple of years. Is there anything they can do to try to build up their pension to provide a decent income? Tough choices there. No easy answers for those people now approaching retirement. You can perhaps look to defer drawing your pension benefits. If your pension pot is big enough, you can perhaps use a drawdown plan so your money stays invested in the stock market. You can perhaps see some investment growth on that. With the spectre of inflation looming down a little bit further down the line, there's, there's some sense in that argument. But you need to have a six-figure sum in your pension fund to do that, to be able to tolerate the investment risk there. Perhaps you're going to have to look at trying to work a bit longer. It's, it, those are the kind of decisions people are facing. I think if you are going to convert your pension fund into an annuity now, if you're going to buy a retirement income now and say, right, that's it, then uh, avoid the temptation just to go for a level annuity. It's really important to try and build some inflation-proofing into your retirement income because if, as is widely expected, we do get inflation in the next few years, that will eat away very quickly at the standard of living you, you're enjoying in retirement. And if you do have a little more time, um, let's say you're still working, you've got 20 years to go until your uh, target retirement date, uh, are there the solutions, are there the investment vehicles uh, in place for you to use? The, uh, if your employer is offering you a pension, if there is an employer contribution available to you, Join that scheme. It's that simple. Take that money from your employer. It's like a pay rise. Do not turn that down. Even if you have to put money in as well, take the money. You need to be looking at saving perhaps 15% of your salary into a pension year in, year out, right through your working life. If you've left it a bit later and you're already in your 30s, you should be looking at more than 15% of your income. That's the kind of scale we're looking at here. Those are the kind of savings you need to be making every year to buy yourself a decent pension in retirement. You then need to start thinking about where the money's invested and what kind of investment strategy you're looking at and, and making the money work as hard for you as you can. And just finally, are there any reforms 
coming in the UK that you think will help address the pension time bomb problem and get people more on track for a a decently funded retirement? I think one thing I'm holding out some hope for is, is the introduction of what are called personal accounts in 2012, when uh, anyone who's not currently in a pension is going to get automatically enrolled into one. People who've chosen not to join their company scheme will get automatically put into it. And I really hope that that will precipitate a cultural shift where we're all going to engage with pensions, where being in a pension is the default position, and and hopefully then we can start to climb our way back up the other side uh, and, and, and start to solve the problem. That was Tom McPhail of Hargreaves Lansdowne. So finally then, who is worst affected by the pensions time bomb and what exactly can they do about it? Um, Steve, in our earlier discussion, we were talking about those uh, people who may not have been able to to, to fund a pension or may have had their uh, pension funds hit quite hard by stock market falls. But uh, uh, who are the, the worst of the losers here? Well, I think the government did a big report, or, or Lord Turner did a big report on exactly the subject a few years ago, and he highlighted certainly two obvious groups. Women, because they tend to have lower incomes, uh, and obviously the lower income you have, the less likely you are to be building up a pension. So women have that problem that on average they earn less, and on average, or at least many women, take career breaks of one form or another. So whatever pension they're building up has some gaps in it. At the same time, self-employed people, that you know, the great entrepreneurs, the great wealth creators, of this country, um, often they see their business as their pension. So they're not actually very good at employing people like Raj, I guess, to tell them, actually, you should be using, you should be funding your pension and so on. Um, so there's that group. Um, and those are amongst the people who aren't possibly funding enough. You've got this other group who are the people on the cusp of retirement um, who have enjoyed this fabulous equity boom up until 2007, you, unless you believe it was just a bear market rally and so on. Um, they have been massively hit in the, with the downfall of the stock market uh, because, uh, as most assets have fallen, um, and they are now in this rather difficult position of saying, do I retire now? Um, do I cash in my much reduced, much depleted fund, possibly down by as much as a third, for example? Or do I carry on a bit? Do I really want to carry on working any longer? And actually, will I be any better off for working? Will I actually make it to retirement? Well, Raj, let's look at the options open to these two sets of people that Steve uh, identifies, those who uh, are underfunded and those who have seen the value of their pension funds hit um, due to the fall in equity markets um, in the last uh, couple of years. Um, take, Take the underfunded first of all. Is it simply a case of either invest more or work longer? I think that depends on how close you are to retirement. But say if you are very close to retirement, I'm afraid the choices are quite stark. Yes, and in fact, it, it could be a double whammy. You may have found, because of the economic environment, that you lost your job and you've come out of work earlier than expected and you've also got a pension pot that's pretty seriously depleted. So what do you do? Well, you can choose to save more, but there's a limited time in which you can do it. The most realistic choice for you is to actually postpone your retirement, and it does mean that, however difficult it might be, you do need to go out and find paid income in order to tide you over to that point when your pension savings can be enough for you to retire on. And Steve, you mentioned the self-employed people who tend to see their business as their pension. I think another uh, big trend recently has been people seeing their home and their property as their pension. And that kind of 
planning has been shot to pieces, really, with the property market falling. Do you think that's still a viable way to to save your pension by building up a property portfolio or indeed just thinking that you'll move, move to a smaller house when you retire and generate a pension that way? I think for most people it's a pretty risky strategy to be relying on a property portfolio because you can't buy and sell property instantly. There's always a lag time. You might end up retiring at a point when property values are also depressed as they are now. And actually, you've got to ask yourself, if you're an 80 or 90 year old, do you want to be managing a portfolio of properties? Even if you can outsource the day to day administration and management of those properties, there are still costs and uh, hassle that goes goes with that and and borrowings against them. So it's a very risky strategy. Um, There's a risk that uh, your property income runs out before you do, basically, and you find yourself uh, in late retirement in poverty. For those who are using a a conventional pension to save uh, for their retirement, um, they don't have to buy an annuity when they retire. Um, you know, a, a contract that turns a pension fund into a, uh, a regular annual income. They can leave their fund invested. Now, is that advisable? If your fund has been depleted, say, in the last few years, is it advisable to try and keep the money invested in the hope that it will rise, or is that just too high risk a strategy? It, it is a gamble, and I think that's what you've got to recognise it for. The advantage of buying an annuity, even if you don't like the rate, is that at least it locks you in to a predictable level of pension, and that will last for as long as you are alive in your retirement. Now, if you don't like the rate and you think you don't want to lock in, then, as you say, you can keep your fund running, essentially until the age of 75, when you are forced to uh, buy an annuity, and take your chances. But I think it is important to stress that you are taking your chances and there are no guarantees that either your pot will rise nor that annuity rates will get better. There are very, very few guarantees uh, out there right now. But uh, finally, Steve, that there are some people who are unaffected by this pensions time bomb crisis. Uh, not many, but uh, who would you say they are? Well, indeed, Matthew. I mean, I think it's it's important to to say that, that not everyone has anything like a pensions crisis. Indeed, I would go a bit further and say there's something of a pensions industry conspiracy out there to tell us that we all should be saving more. Funnily enough, pensions industry says buy more pensions. You are specifically about who's doing well. Well, what about those people who've had really thumping great careers in those big blue chips, dare I say it, Pearson types and so on, who are now retiring on a great, big, generous final salary pension while the rest of us work ourselves to death and probably won't make it to retirement for our very limited, defined, nothing contribution pension. Um, So there's those people who are coming up to retirement now. They've had a great run with these final salary benefits. Um, It should also be said, if you're young and prepared to save into a pension, Rock bottom stock markets are a great thing, great time to be investing, particularly regular investments. You're cutting out all the volatility of the stock market, but also lump sum payments. The budget also cut uh, is looking at cutting tax relief back. So for anyone who does see themselves on a reasonable career trajectory, great time to be saving because stock markets are at a low and great time to be getting money in before governments of whatever nasty hue look to cut back pension tax relief further.
Thank you all very much. Uh, You can read more about uh, pension planning and using other long-term investments in FT Money with the Weekend FT every Saturday. But that's all for this special edition of the FT Money Show. Remember, you can send in your questions to our email address, money at ft.com. And don't forget that you can listen to the FT Money Show every week via the website at ft.com forward slash money show. Or you can get your financial lowdown in downloadable form from Apple's iTunes store. New shows go live every Friday morning. But for now, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Charlene, Steve and Raj Modi, pensions partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Goodbye. 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.